Well, welcome to the show. We are a little unclear on what technology has done to engage in subterfuge this morning, but apparently it was something, and it may, in fact, even be ongoing now. No, don't just vamp on technology. Start the show. Okay, welcome to the show. <laughs> and we welcome back to the show Rosie Kane and Judith Roberts. Judith Roberts is the executive director of the Literacy Project, and Rosie Kane is an author, composer, harpist, impresario, rock and tour, a member of the Young at Heart Chorus, and the founder of Wild Irish Women, an amazing musical group. And they are here today because we want to know about Bloomsday and its celebration here in the Valley, in particular in Greenfield. So let me start with Judith Roberts because the introduction for her was so much shorter. Yes, I'm shorter. (laughs) (laughs) That's so much more accomplished. You don't really have to puff her resume. (laughs) Yeah, but she, well, A, her resume is pretty terrific. Yours is fabulous. But I must say, uh, Rosie Kane, you have the greatest accent going. So <laughs> we really need to talk to you just to hear the accent. I'm really. trying not to lose it just this morning. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Judith Roberts, Executive Director of the Literacy Project. Boomsday. It's a big year and a big celebration. So let's start with why it's a big year and then tell us about the celebration. And then we'll go to Rosie Kane. So Bloomsday is celebrated the world over, Bill, because of the immortal book written by James Joyce, Ulysses, all takes place on one day, June 16th, and Leopold Bloom, the protagonist, travels around Dublin on that one day that is immortalized in the book. This year is the 100th centennial of the publishing of the book Ulysses by James Joyce, one of the great books ever written. Well, I have to say... I accept it is one of the great books ever written. And I have read a lot about the book. That said, I never made it past the first, I don't know how many dozen pages. I really tried. Uh, I made it far into the audiobook version of it, and I still gave up on it. The audio is the way to go. I read 14 high fantasy books (laughs) and read them via, via audio and still couldn't get through one Ulysses. So, yes, Rosie Kane, uh, speaking on behalf of the Irish, all Irish, and James Joyce, oh. and why it's one of the greatest novels of our, well, of burden. all time. A terrible burden. But in common with Bill, not getting past the first few pages, neither did Nora Barnacle, James Joyce's wife, whom he actually met, their first date was on the 16th of June, 1904. So she read 17 pages. That's as far as she got. <laughs> so, so I said to Judith, <clears throat> when I first got involved with Bloomsday, I said, how perversely Irish of you to choose the most unread, unreadable book and use this as the poster book for literature. And she said, well, actually, I am not perversely Irish at all. I am perversely Ukrainian, but not perversely Ukrainian at the moment, proudly Ukrainian. So that's <laughs> Judith Roberts. <laughs> Wow, so much to unpack there. Let's go back to what the celebration of Bloomsday is uh, here in the Valley, and then we can talk some more about Ulysses itself. But let's get to the celebration. The celebration for the Literacy Project, and really this is Judith Bailiwick, but I just have been so proud to be involved with this organization that lifts people away from where they might be, you know, on the bottom floor of education, and opens up the wonders of books and reading and prepares people for the high set. And so, Judith, over to you. The high set is the high school equivalency test. So we work with adults, all different kinds of people, ages, who did not graduate high school the first time around. And many, many, many different reasons, myriad of stories, um, immigrants, refugees, perhaps people who've had other barriers to getting education, but we provide free access to education in five towns in Hampshire and Franklin County. And along the way, our adult students fall in love with reading and writing and fall in love with books. We have students who are reading their first book they ever read in their life. That one is not Ulysses, by the way. And um, just fall in love with reading and writing, which is something that we all share the beauty of literature. And so it's a perfect tie-in for people who love books and love reading with 
Rosie's cadre of readers and writers, and we bring them together to celebrate Bloom's Day. Okay, I understand uh, why we would celebrate James Joyce as a uh, uh, icon of, of literature and use Bloom's Day, which is a great name for a day, a blooming day. Yes, we're uh, going to be blooming. It's just terrific. Um, tell us what the event is or what the events are to celebrate Bloom's Day uh, and specifically where and when and what and who and how. And then I'd like to talk some more about the uh, the, the book itself. But well, the history of our, of our Bloom's Day together is that it was always a live performance and tapping into the fact that James Joyce himself was a phenomenal tenor. And in fact, literature and music were changed forever the day that John McCormick, the great Irish tenor, beat James Joyce in a, comp- in a singing competition. <laughs> and James himself could not sight-read, so the third part of the competition, which is called the fesh, the fesh kill, he threw... The, the what, the what? The fesh kill, it just means Irish festival, festival oh. of music. Okay. So he was so enraged by the fact that he had to sight-read a piece, he threw his book on the floor... He was actually contended to be the winner. And John McCormick stepped up, won the competition, and became the greatest Irish tenor ever. So James Joyce had a tremendous repertoire of songs. So we include some of those in our entertainment program, which was on stage until recently. And now it is a piece of streamed entertainment. And this year, it is a best of Bloomsday. So we have culled some of the pieces that have been recorded, music, readings, some of WB Yeats. We threw that in there. We're going to throw in <laughs> some Yeats. To we go. just threw in some Yeats because one of, one of Joyce's favorite songs was a poem by Yeats, The Sally Gardens. So where do we see this? How do we see this? So this year, because of the pandemic, we're going to be on, uh, online with this. So it's a video that you can watch by going to www.literacyproject.org, literacyproject.org. You can find out more about the Literacy Project and also watch this terrific video. Next year, we'll be back in person because it really is a pub event. It is a pub and a public event and yes. that people really like. And how many years has, has it been going on? Well, this oh. is our 10th anniversary, yes. and it's the 100th centennial, so we're 100. It's, it's 100. 110. 110. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So you, you said that Bloomsday is an international event, um, and I'm interested in, in knowing more about that. When and how did Bloomsday become an international event, given that the novel itself is, let's be generous, difficult. Mm -hmm. So why is it so celebrated? Well, maybe academics and other scholars led the way and said, well, maybe you haven't read it, but this is the father of the modern novel. Um, It's famous for stream of consciousness. It's famous for everyday language. In fact, it's the language of my mother and father's generation. I found it much easier to listen to. And, and the Irish are notorious blatherers. And <laughs> so, they've, <laughs> so they've, they've talked that up around the world. And, and so th- there's also been many backstories. There isn't enough time. You know, the, the last remaining part of the Joyce dynasty is the nephew. And he wouldn't allow anything to be spoken of in public. He would sue people if they stood on a corner and they were going to utter two words of James Joyce. And so, you know, there was a kind of a conflagration of interest in stepping up out on the streets, getting dressed, and Bloomsday has just, it's, it's all over the place. It's in Irish embassies in Washington. It's, um, it's in Dubai. It's, it's in pubs in Beijing. I mean, it's just become an international event. Celebrated as a celebration of Joyce, of literature. I think the Irish like to celebrate themselves <laughs> and, use, <laughs> and, use, and use Joyce as an excuse. Is it a, a, a mini kind of St. Patrick's Day with a fair amount of uh, green beer? There might be that as well, but the downtrodden will rise. And, uh, and I think that there's, there's a bit of that. Um. What inspired Bloomsday uh, in Greenfield? Uh, I mean, it's Greenfield. 
Yes. I'm talking Irish. <laughs> we started at the Literacy Project. We read all kinds of novels, the classics, modern novels. We read and read and read. Our students read and write their memoirs, poetry. And we did pick up Ulysses and um, read a bit of Ulysses. And it's part, you know, it's that stream of consciousness narrative, and which is great, no punctuation. I mean, I think Richard Brodigan, modern writer, fell in that genre. You know, it was the creation of that style of writing. And the event became, was it a fundraiser for the Literacy Project? So tell us more about that. It is that. a fundraiser for the Literacy Project. Our programs are all free, open to the public, and anybody who needs us can come to get their high school equivalency degree and get help with moving on to college and careers. In order to keep our doors of opportunity open for folks, we use Bloomsday as a fundraising day. And so are we watching the Bloomsday, the best of Bloomsday, uh, together, or we can simply do it on our own? Tell us more about the you logistics. You can do it on your own time, or we can all watch it together on June 16th at literacyproject.org. Any time during the day, or is there a specific time? As soon as we get it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say evening. Yes. <laughs> Evening. I think we were, yeah, we were. I think we were shooting for seven, seven o'clock. And how long is the? It's forty-five minutes. Sounds like a terrific length of time. And is there reading from Ulysses that goes on there? Yes, and yes. Do, from the famous soliloquy. Ah, uh, the famous soliloquy. Oh, yes. Do you want us to tell us what the famous? No, no. It's a teaser. <laughs> yes. We're going to be back yes. with the famous soliloquy the famous, yes. from Ulysses. Yeah. Right after this. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Would bring you down forever, but you rode upon a steamer to the violence of the sun. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance, local people, local service, local insurance, in partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586 1000. There's the Sauvignon Blanc side and the salami sandwich side, the brick and feather beer side and the broccoli side, the deli side and the Don Julio side. State Street in Northampton has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. Cooper's Corner in Florence has two sides. Grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. But the nice thing about State Street and Cooper's, you don't have to pick a side. You can choose both sides at both stores. The world feels so divided sometimes. For once, don't choose sides. Go to both sides at both stores. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton and Cooper's Corner on the other side of Northampton in Florence. Two sides, same coin. I think about moments in my life where I got through because of the support that I had and to be able to offer that to people feels really important. EJ is a program director at ServiceNet. One of the reasons I landed in community mental health is it's quality care for folks who couldn't access it in other ways. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. 
it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your spring, summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Judith Roberts, who is the executive director of the Literacy Project, and Rosie Kane, who is an author, composer, harpist, impresario, rock and tour member of the Young and Hard Chorus, and founder of the Wild Irish Women Group, and a star in the video of this Bloomsday celebration, which will be, of course, happening on June 16th, the centennial, the 100th anniversary of the publication of. James Joyce's most extraordinary novel. I am told I have read and I believe. So tell us a bit, if you would, please, Rosie, about what we'll see of you on this video. 45 minutes, uh, I'm the, best, the best of Bloomsday. So. Well, it's much less about me and much more about my wonderful group of musicians and collaborators who are much more than the sum of my parts, uh, which is a small part. Um, and so we have, um, we have a, I believe it's a quintet, yes, playing some of O'Carolan's music, who was a blind harper that came from Nauber, County Meath. And that would be Nick Whitridge and Chris Devine and Piper Bichette. And Katie Coleman plays the flute. And uh, Brooke Steinhauser is a soloist. And in 2016, I created a piece called The Wild Irish Woman of James Joyce. And that was performed at the Hawks and Reed. It was called the Best of Wild Irish Women. So Best of Wild Irish Women to the Best of Bloomsday. We will have a few excerpts from that in the voices of Nora Barnacle and uh, in song and Molly Bloom. And we will have Michael Haley doing a reading. We will have Chris Devine from Ulysses doing a reading and playing the fiddle. And did I leave anybody out? I hope not. I don't think so. I just want you to keep talking. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just talk with that accent. It's just so beautiful. I, I, this is put together. Who put together the video of this best of ten a year, ten years of Bloomsday and the celebration here in the valley? We are indebted to GCTV for this. Really, yeah, we are. And again, this will be posted, and we hopefully will celebrate Bloomsday together on the sixteenth at seven o'clock. With the Literacy Project, it's a fundraiser, and it's an important yearly fundraiser. I'm sure the pandemic has not been helpful in that regard. It's always been a, an event that people talk about with great enthusiasm about how wonderful it is. I performed Hawks and Reed and uh, other venues in Greenfield, too, I believe. But uh, tell us again about the importance of this to the Literacy Project. So next year, of course, we'll be back in person yes. in the pub. Yes. But this year we're online with the video, and people can go to literacyproject.org, watch the video, and donate if you can to support our programs. We are an adult, formerly called the GED. Now we call it the high set, the high school equivalency test. So we're giving folks a second chance, a chance to go on with their education open the doors of opportunity to jobs, to higher ed. And so please join us, watch the video, and donate if you can. Let me go back to Rosie Kane. I'd like to know about the celebration. I know now how we celebrate in the Valley, but how is this celebrated in Dublin, for example, in, uh, on June 16th? Yes, in Dublin, people are on street corners now that Stephen Joyce has been put in his place and there was a big lawsuit that, uh, Seriously? He was yes. try trying to stop people from reading the yes, book out loud on the yes, street? Yes, and a, a professor at Stanford sued him for access uh, to the material that she needed for her scholarship and won. So that's another little sidebar story. But yes, on every corner in Dublin, people will be dressed in Nora Barnacle corsets and hats, and um, they'll be reading from Ulysses. Does this novel, does it still sell... Is it still an international phenomenon, or is it? Or are we really talking about an artifact here? Well, it's still in print. If that's yes, an answer, to, if that's an answer, uh, I believe so. I, th I believe that it's studied widely in in um, departments of English literature in universities. I do remember when I 
in college having, I think, maybe even purchased a copy, I also received a printout of what the footnotes were and what was going on. And the explanation of what all the illusions and allusions in Ulysses are, uh, you have to be a historian of Irish history and world history in order to really understand everything that's going on in the... epic of Odysseus is foundational. Yes. Yes, and I think it helps to understand that. But I know of book groups in Dublin that have taken a year to read through it. They, they, They read a piece at a time and then they come to discuss it rather than having a book a month. They spend a year. <laughs> they have a, a chapter, a chapter <laughs> yes. a month, something like a that. A chapter a month. So, uh, did you, and are you a James Joyce fan? Are you actually someone who has read and understands Ulysses? I have read Ulysses. I am a James Joyce fan, but my favorite James Joyce work is the group of short stories. Oh, the Dubliners. Dubliners. Yes. And there will be a small reading from. The last story, The Dead. Oh, oh, that's amazing. The Dead. And I think maybe some pictures of Angelica Houston and um, Donald McCann as Gabriel and Greta um, on our little piece about Dubliners. So my wife and I s- stopped in Dublin. We were on our way to visit our daughter uh, in Mauritius. And anyway, the flights work out that way. I thought it was a great way to sort of massage the... Uh, change in time zones and the like and there I was in Dublin and I bought the the Dubliners and I read it in Dublin I felt so righteous Proud of yourself. and oh my <laughs> good and but these are wonderful accessible yeah. uh, moving yes. short stories one should never be intimidated by Dubliners if oh. one is by Ulysses and there would be reason for that but uh, Dubliners are it's a wonderful collection of short stories it is and uh, portrait of an artist as a young man also yes good. much yes. more readable yes Yes, and I got to uh, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man years ago because Dylan Thomas had written a book, Portrait of an Artist as a Young Dog. Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So tell us one more time, if you would, let's go back to Judith Roberts, who is the Executive Director of the Literacy Project. Tell us again, please, about the celebration of Bloomsday and how we can do it this year. We are sad that we cannot be live together, but we can, in fact, celebrate and Boy, the best of, the, of, of Bloomsday in the Valley for the last 10 years. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful presentation. So, Judith Roberts? So, 7 o'clock on June 16th, online at literacyproject.org. Pour yourself a glass of something delicious and join us to watch the best of Bloomsday. It's a fundraiser for the Literacy Project at literacyproject.org. And we will raise a glass to the Literacy Project. Monty, you want to make a suggestion of what we should raise a glass of? I mean, you can't go wrong with Guinness. Gotcha. There's a lot of great Irish whiskeys out there as well. That is true. We thank Rosie Kane. We thank Judith Roberts. Thanks for Loom's Day. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for the Literacy Project. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Bill Newman, So whether you sing or pull a pint, you'll always have a job. Cause wherever you go around the world, you'll find an Irish pub. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst Elementary School Building Committee is recommending Fort River School's 70 South East Street campus as the site for the new elementary school. The committee voted 8-5 to for the site. The new three-story, 575-student building is set to open in 2026 and will cost an estimated $105 million. Holyoke Mayor Josh Garcia says the police department has been struggling with employee retention and the lengthy and complicated hiring process keeps the city from filling gaps in the department when employees leave for other jobs or retire. We've been having a difficult time maintaining our capacity of officers of what we budget for. You know, our process for hiring is very dependent on the civil service process. So it's not like you can just hire two new officers next week and say, here's your badge. Good luck. You know, there's a whole process that can take a really long time. Officers regularly working overtime to cover these shifts contributed to the excessive overtime payouts exposed by the Gazette last year. The police department is currently undergoing an audit to find other inefficiencies and make the police department more effective.
And leadership of Northampton High School for the coming year is uncertain following the departure of school superintendent John Provost and suspension of Principal Lori Valiancourt. Mayor Gina Louise Shera, who also chairs the school committee, says an independent investigation involving Principal Valiancourt is wrapping up and a final report is due on or before June 27th. Shara says it's highly unlikely the report will be made public given the privacy rights of those involved. Partly to mostly sunny today, a light breeze from the north, a high of 82 to 86. Mostly clear tonight, overnight low 54 to 60. Sun cloud combination tomorrow, a high of 80 to 84. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El lunes, la legislatura de Massachusetts fijó las fechas del fin de semana feriado del impuesto sobre las ventas de este año, fijando el 13 y 14 de agosto, cuando los compradores de Massachusetts obtendrán una exención del impuesto estatal sobre las ventas en la mayoría de los artículos minoristas de menos de $2,500. El fin de semana anual libre de impuestos sobre las ventas se hizo permanente por una ley de 2018 que pide a la legislatura que fije las fechas para el 15 de junio de cada año. De lo contrario, el Departamento de ingresos elige. Los copresidentes del Comité de Desarrollo Económico, el senador Eric Lesser y el representante Jerry Parisella, patrocinaron las medidas de establecimiento de fechas en sus respectivas ramas el lunes. En otras informaciones, los asesores de campaña más cercanos de Donald Trump, altos funcionarios del gobierno e incluso su familia, estaban desmantelando sus afirmaciones falsas de fraude electoral de 2020 antes del 6 de enero. Pero el presidente derrotado parecía distante de la realidad y aferrándose a teorías extravagantes para mantenerse en el poder, dijo el comité investigando el ataque al Capitolio, se dijo el lunes. Con testimonios apasionantes, el panel expone paso a paso cómo Trump ignoró los datos de su propio equipo de campaña a medida que un estado tras otro cambiaba a Joe Biden y en cambio se aferró a teorías de conspiración, casos judiciales y sus propias declaraciones de victoria en lugar de tener que admitir la derrota. Se ha distanciado de la realidad si realmente cree en estas cosas, testificó el exfiscal general William Barr en su entrevista con el comité. Barr calificó las afirmaciones de fraude electoral como tonterías, falsas e idiotas y renunció después. No quería ser parte de eso. El lunes, un Trump Trump impenitente criticó las audiencias en su lenguaje familiar como ridículas y traicioneras y repitió sus afirmaciones. Yo soy Johan Rashid Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We are joined by Alyssa Goldman, who is the Corey, we'll get to Corey in a second, and reentry attorney for Community Legal Aid, and Jen Derringer, who is the Community Legal Aid managing attorney for Northampton and other offices as well. Attorney John Staberski, who is a principal with Flower Power Growers, and Ezra Parzabach, who is a marijuana consultant, and they are with us today because we are going to talk about extraordinary injustice, and we're going to talk about fixing it. So... Let me start with Alyssa Golden, who is Corey, the Corey and Reentry Attorney. Explain what Corey is an acronym for, if you would, please, Alyssa, and tell us what the problem is that has been exposed by the recent, relatively recent, legalization of marijuana. Yeah, so um, Corey is the Massachusetts criminal uh, record system. Um, so it, it refers to, it's an acronym for uh, criminal offender record information, um, and it sort of contains for an individual person um, every time that um, they have touched the criminal court system. So um, unsealed criminal convictions, unsealed non-convictions, including dismissals. Um, so that's what the system um, is all about. People can um, access their own Corey and um, housing providers and employers can access certain information on a Corey. Um, so the, the legalization of marijuana in, in Massachusetts, um, you know, one of the things that I see in my work is that um, folks have these um, 
vacated convictions and, and they're still sitting on people's records because um, you have to affirmatively um, ask the court to expunge at this point. Um, expungement is the complete destruction of the record. Um, the other thing people can do is seal their quarries, which means um, it, it severely limits um, any anyone's access to that information. Okay, so explain this to us, if you would, please. A, a person years ago uh, was convicted or pled guilty to a, a marijuana offense. They received this sentence, and now what they are, uh, what they were convicted of, is no longer illegal. Um, and yet, that record still exists. It still interferes with their lives and has consequences. Tell us about that, if you would, please. Yeah, so in, in my experience, those um, convictions now show up as, as vacated um, on the uh, quarries that I have seen, which really, it does really limit the number of entities that have access to the information. But what we know and what I have I've learned very well in my work um, is that there are um, a lot of housing providers, a lot of employers that don't actually use the official quarry system, which has much more sort of control to it. A lot of folks are using private uh, credit check companies, private background check companies, um, and that pulls in information from a ton of different sources, uh, and some of it is not um, accurate and some of it you know they shouldn't even really have access to and that can include non-convictions and even non-convictions even dismissed cases um, they can still carry a stigma right um, there's this you know there's this idea of you know where there's smoke there's fire and things like that that still um, can pose significant barriers for folks so um, expungement uh, is is one of the ways that we can sort of combat the, the stigma even attached to dismissed cases all right. So let me turn from uh, Alyssa Golden, who is the Corey and Reentry re Attorney for Community Leg Legal Aid, to Jen Derringer, who is the Managing Attorney, Local Managing Attorney for Community Legal Aid. She's been an attorney with that program for... Ever. Ever, right? Um, <laughs> and we are so pleased that she is back with us with, on the program today. This is an issue that is being addressed now by Community Legal Aid, and we're going to get to John Stabriskie in just one second. But tell us how and tell us why. Sure. So a community legal aid, which was Western Mass Legal Services back in your day, Bill, um, has been dealing, has been working on quarry issues um, on and off for, for decades. Um, but really over the last couple of years, in part due to a, a Department of Public Health grant that we got uh, working with the FERCOG up in Franklin County and North Quabbin, um, we were really able to focus more resources, including Alyssa's time, on these issues, um, and we what we talk about we talk about the collateral consequences of having a criminal record, and that is um, primarily comes up in the housing arena. Uh, if folks have criminal records that haven't been sealed or expunged, um, housing providers see that and often discriminate against folks um, illegally and uh, deny them public and affordable and subsidized housing. Um, so a lot of Alyssa's work, um, it focuses not just on the sealing and expungement of records, but also the collateral consequences of having those records. It also comes up to a smaller degree in employment. Um, it can often, having a record can block folks from um, job opportunities. So increasingly, we have uh, built our quarry reentry unit. Um, we're very excited that we have a fellow starting in the fall who's gonna be able to focus in Hamden County and specifically on the uh, women's jail in Chicopee. So helping women who are leaving the uh, system and help them get stabilized and back on their feet. The existence, the mere existence of the record is an impediment to reentry. Whether the information is used legally or extra legally, it is used to discriminate against people because they have had an involvement with the criminal justice system for something which now, in many instances, simply is no longer a crime, and they're still paying a price for that. That's right. Um, what we see are housing providers and housing authorities incorrectly reading the regulations um, that, that should— the, that 
provide that these records should not be an impediment to folks getting public and subsidized housing. Um, so that, like I said, that's a lot of what Alyssa does um, is make the argument that these folks should not be discriminated against and they should be able to get affordable and subsidized housing. So let me turn to Ezra Parzabak, who's been a marijuana consultant and a uh, advocate uh, for many, many years. You see this problem as being ongoing and persistent, notwithstanding the legalization in this state and most states? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Um, you know, I, I think I can distill it down to one word. It's just bureaucracy. Um, there's paperwork. And if you're poor and you got a couple jobs and you were busted a couple, couple years ago or 20 years ago, you, you can hire a lawyer, which is expensive, but... Uh, you fill out one thing wrong on the four or five pages that are required to fill out, you send it in, you wait six weeks, they come back to you and they say, this is incorrect, and you have to send it in again. And I'm just talking about my own personal experience. I, I, I work in cannabis paperwork, it's, it's what I do, and I was amazed at how much bureaucracy there was to seal my record. So let me turn from Ezra to Attorney John Staberski. John, of course, is a very well-known lawyer in Greenfield, and he is a principal in Flower Power Growers, which is the real reason we are having him on today, uh, although his uh, legal acumen is not to be diminished in this area in any way. John, you have done something, and you and your partners have done something really significant and it involves community legal aid, so tell our listeners, please, what you've done. So... Um as, thanks, Bill. As part of the cannabis control licensing uh, procedure, uh, every entity is uh, obligated to uh, design and fund a positive impact program. Um, and you know, being a lawyer like a lot of us are on the show, I saw the problems through when my, during my career, and and thought that uh, an expungement program, a real kind of uh, you know, a vibrant expungement program where, where we'd have uh, even legal, pay for legal representation would be would be really a great thing to do. Um, so what we've done as a business, and we we're trying to be as socially responsible as we can, is to is to make a donation uh, to fund uh, the a seminar and provide legal representation. Um, and we're excited to partner with with our other partners on this. This came about because of your uh, work as a principal in Flower Power Growers. You want to tell us a bit about Flower Power Growers for a sec? Okay, so so Flower Power Growers is a is a you know a business that is not running yet. We are we are building what's going to be the state's largest uh, hybrid greenhouse, which is a socially responsible way to manufacture cannabis. We're going to use mainly 75% of the energy from the sun to grow uh, to grow uh, the plants, which is significantly less than indoor uh, and, and indoor growing. And that's part of my other partners, Josh Goldman and Michael, Co Michael Cohen's kind of bent on their whole life's work. So together we were trying to uh, build this entity, which is going to be socially responsible in all sorts of ways. And I was responsible for the a lot of the regulatory aspects of this. And I was a bar advocate early in my career. I represented tons of, of uh, dr drug cases, defendants, and I saw what it did to their lives. So when this came, this opportunity that we're supposed to do something good for our community, I thought, geez, what, what, better could we do than to try to remedy the wrongs that this you know awful awful set of laws has has kind of uh, imposed upon uh, really a, a, an underprivileged uh, segment of our community so let me go back if i might to uh, jen derringer from community legal aid and ask you this it seemed to most people i think that when massachusetts eventually decriminalized and then legalized marijuana, that we had solved the problem. But I think as often happens in our society, the poor, the disenfranchised, the marginalized people of color are nonetheless just overlooked. Uh, and the problems that we have caused through the mass incarceration and mass criminalization, they still pay for that, even though, well, the world just goes on blithely as if, uh, well, there's no problem anymore. And you have to somehow 
remedy this. So can you tell us a bit more about the program itself? Sure. So really what we're doing um, in, the, in the context of marijuana convictions, but really any criminal convictions at all, um, you know, I, ideally is uh, to seal or expunge the record. As Alyssa said, that takes, um, that takes the, the record away so that, um, that future employers and future housing providers won't see that. Um, but often folks come to us at a time where that information has already been revealed. They are not aware that their record can be sealed. As Ezra pointed out, it's a cumbersome process. Um, it's administrative. Uh, it often it sometimes requires uh, going in front of a judge. Um, folks don't know they can do it or they're intimidated by the system and don't think they can do it alone. So a large part of what we do is try to get uh, in front of that and expunge and seal the record before folks are ready to move on and secure housing and employment. Uh, but often folks come to us when that information is already out of the bag. Um, and that is, again, a lot of the work that we do is try to, um, to push back against employers and housing providers uh, Ill illegally discriminating against folks because of um, criminal charges that could be decades old. Um, could be very minor, um, minor charges, particularly around uh, marijuana conviction. Um, so that really, as you said, um, you know, I, I, working at Legal Aid as long as I have, I have seen, you know, how how poor people are impacted the the, the most um, by by such a variety of different things and and their ability to to secure good jobs and affordable housing um, is challenged in, in every way imaginable. And this is just one example of this. So the, us growing this project and doing this work is, is really important to the core of the work that we do at Legal Aid. And when you say growing the project, you're using the funds that uh, John Staberski and his partners have contributed or are contributing to Community Legal Aid for this project in order to remedy these past injustices. Exactly. And what we will be doing concretely, as John referenced, is on Thursday at the um, at the courthouse in Greenfield, we will be doing we will do be doing a seminar, um, which will help folks understand how they can expunge and seal their records. Um, and then Alyssa will be, as John also mentioned, representing folks in sealing and expunging those records and dealing with the collateral consequences of, of having those records. So that's Thursday, 2 to 4, uh, in the courthouse in Greenfield. Do people have to sign up? Uh, yes, they can register. If they go to our Facebook page, Community Legal Aid, uh, they can register there, or they can just show up. Either way. Yep. And any charge? No charge, nope. And it's also on Zoom as well if folks can't make it to the courthouse. And again, when and where? Thurs this Thursday. Uh, two to four at the Greenfield Courthouse or on Zoom. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with more with these four very important people and how we are going, they are going to help us achieve greater fairness and justice here in the Valley. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. And tonight, the state delegation is in solidarity with our mayor and with Congressman McGovern, who is leading the charge to stop the closure of the VA and leads. So we are completely committed as your state elected officials, and we are called tonight by our congressman to stand with him, and we will be here tonight, and we will be here every step of the way. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Printing costs sky high, businesses spend up to 3% of revenue generating documents, and many businesses fail to budget the expense. Sound familiar? Get a handle on your printing costs with Total Print Pro from HL Dempsey in West Springfield. HL Dempsey will do an on-site analysis of your copy and print usage and come up with a customized, comprehensive solution that will simplify your world and save you money. Go to hldempsey.com to find out more. HL Dempsey, serving Western New England for over 50 years. HL Dempsey, just dependable. To the co-op, the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, I'm Mike Buckmaster, Senior Vice President, Commercial Lending at the Greenfield Cooperative Bank and Northampton Co-op Bank Division. We have the best local commercial lending team in the Pioneer Valley. 
We're an SBA preferred lender, and unlike other banks, each of our team members has individual lending authority for fast local decisions. Hi, I'm Barbara Campbell, Assistant Vice President of Commercial Lending. Whether you're looking for a business loan or a line of credit, we can get your plans off the ground. Come and see us for help. And I'm Jim Alexander, Vice President, Commercial Lending. You can reach any of our experienced commercial loan officers by phone or through bestlocalbank.com. Meet one of us at your business or any of our locations. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Ezra Prosbach, who is a marijuana consultant, and Attorney John Staberski, who is a principal in Flower Power Growers, and Attorney Jen Derringer from Community Legal Aid, and Alyssa Golden, who is the Corey and Reentry Attorney for Community Legal Aid. We were talking during the break about the genesis of marijuana laws and how it is, even after legalization in Massachusetts, that the, the pernicious racism of marijuana and other drug laws continues, which is why we need a project, and Community Legal has taken on the project, to seal and expunge the records of people who have been caught up in the system and still are being discriminated against because of those convictions or those brushes with the law and the record, the record that exists of their alleged transgressions. I, I wish... John Staberski, that you would give your thoughts on that since you and your partners are funding this project at Community Legal Aid to try to remedy this gross and historic injustice. Well, we feel the illegalization of cannabis is is founded in a discriminatory animus uh, that's of others, mainly people of color who came into this state and elsewhere in mass and they did something different for their enjoyment, consumed cannabis, and because uh, the societies back back in the 1910s, 20s, and 30s wanted to uh, wanted to discriminate against them, made their source of enjoyment illegal, and it's caused an enormous amount of harm throughout the decades. Um, you know, this little effort will maybe may be a drop in the bucket of of, of remedying the discrimination, but um, it's just it's kept people of color and and people without means uh, back from succeeding in life in so many ways employment housing um you know being stopped by the police once you know you have a once they know you have a criminal record you're treated differently there's there's enormous ramifications Um, and even today if you are stopped by a police officer and have a drug conviction on your record you will be treated differently uh, and that's why it's so important to uh, for for anyone who has a criminal record uh, or even a charge to have it uh, either expunged or sealed. I am struck by something you just said, uh, John Staberski, and that is you're stopped in your car, the cops put in your license and registration, and what pops up? A 10-year-old marijuana conviction. Ezra, can you tell us about how that actually works in the world? Yeah, it's interesting because the often the person who has that on the record just does not understand that they can get it sealed or expunged. You have to proactively seek out information about it, um, and and 
for huge populations of people, they just say, okay, this is a, a black eye in my record that's, that's permanent, that lasts forever, because they, they're not familiar um, with the rules, the paperwork, who to talk to, how to, to be guided through the process. And that's why it is so important to have a structured um, group helping. So let us turn in that regard to Alyssa Golden, who is the Corey and Reentry Attorney for Community Legal Aid. Alyssa? Yeah, I think the one thing I wanted to add to what John said about the the history of the criminalization of marijuana is, you know, I think uh, it wasn't just about another tool to discriminate. It was another tool to criminalize um, people of color, criminalize immigrants, um, you know, which uh, we know that historically that that has happened in a number of contexts. Um, and one of those was um, sort of um, identifying uh, substances that uh, sort of could be um, uh, turned into this, these, like, the, you know, the narrative became that substances, you know, created all of this violence, cre you know, made people act in certain ways. Um, and all of that was a narrative that was created to get people on board for the criminalization of certain substances, which of course was just to criminalize uh, people of color and immigrant communities. Tell us please again, the event this Thursday, when, where, how do people get to it? Because as John Staberski pointed out in the conversation we were having off air during the break, um, we need to let people know this is happening. We need to get the word out. People who are being discriminated against today can have that resolved in significant measure Thursday. So tell us more about the event on Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. So this is um, an event that uh, is sort of a know your rights that um, I will be facilitating. And it's around expungement of marijuana convictions, but also you know options for expunging um, other um, expungible uh, records, um, and then more generally about criminal records sealing, right? So often people need access to um, more than just one of these tools. Um, and so this will be Thursday, uh, this Thursday, June 16th, from 2 to 3 o'clock p.m. Folks can come in person at the Franklin County Courthouse um, or can attend on Zoom. If you go to our website, you can register uh, to attend on Zoom and get more information. And we are asking listeners to tell everyone and anyone they know who might be helped to know about this project, to know about this event on Thursday, to go to Community Lake to sign up for this. Ezra Parzabach, John Staberski, Jen Derringer, Alyssa Golden, we thank you all so very much for your work. Thank you for this project. Thank you for your generosity and spirit and for making this valley a better place to live. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thanks, thank Bill. You. Have a good All right, everybody have a great day. You too. Good jobs, good eats. This Thursday, go. June 16th from 1 to 3, free parking, free giveaways, and free treats. It's a fair, the Mass Hire Holyoke Job Fair at Heritage Park in Holyoke. This Thursday, June 16th, come meet with over 50 employers in banking, health, education, hospitality, gaming, and more, and all in the great outdoors. So bring your appetite and find your dream job at Heritage Park in Holyoke this Thursday from 1 to 3. Visit MassHireHolyoke.org for more info. Brought to you by Mass Hire Holyoke and Business Solutions. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, creasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls the out, and The only live and local talk in the Valley and North for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock.